1: Hello and welcome into the Jeff Andrea Show here on Wednesday, February 26th. And thank you so much for tuning in here today. Got a good show lined up. There is a lot of budget talks to take place here over the next hour here. In the back half of the show, I'll be joined by the city's corporate services director, Kathy Humphrey, to dig into the numbers about what we can expect here as taxpayers in Kamloops with an eye on April when the tax rates will officially be set. So Kathy will join me at around the 35-minute mark of the hour to go over all of that. And then to end things up, it is another edition today of that's whack wednesday but to get things started i am joined in studio by the mayor of kamloops mr ken christian ken how you doing here this morning very good jeff yeah thanks as always for taking the time to come in after what i thought was a pretty productive council meeting yesterday but before we get into that i just wanted to start with today being pink shirt day you're wearing a pink shirt a number of counselors were wearing them around the table yesterday uh just you know why is this a day that's important to you
0: yeah, well, yesterday uh, a number of the councillors uh, felt it was our last council meeting before Pink Shirt Day and was an opportunity to bring awareness to, you know, what we collectively uh, feel is a very valuable cause uh, in the community. And, you know, let's face it, uh, there still is uh, issues related to uh, harassment and bullying and, and that occurs At home, at school, in the workplace, and uh, we just want to put a stop to it and, uh, you know, call people out that are uh, behaving poorly and let's have a civil dialogue in this community about issues that we might disagree on, but let's... uh, not be disagreeable when we do that
1: yeah it's I think it's an issue that has gotten a lot of attention over the last number of years and and you know certainly since my time in high school I feel like it's a uh, less and less of an issue I want to say but then again bullying seems to happen behind the scenes a lot so it's hard to say uh, you, you actually brought this up yesterday at council when talking about pink shirt day just that you know city staff and and a number of employees here that work in Kamloops you know they, they can be uh, victims of bullying here
0: Yeah, certainly, you know, uh, we expect uh, of our staff a a level of deportment and behavior that, uh, you know, would uh, be representative of the city. And in turn, we respect uh, the uh, citizens' right to complain, but they can't uh, take it out on the snowplow driver or on the bylaw enforcement officer. Uh, or anyone else for that matter. We see people coming in to pay traffic tickets and all of a sudden decide it's their right to wail on the clerk accepting the money. And, you know, that kind of behavior just doesn't belong in today's society. And uh, today's a day for us to uh, remind people of that and and collectively uh, as leaders of the Community Council wanted to do that. Right on. Well,
1: uh, definitely an important message, I think, for everyone to pay attention to here on uh, Pink Shirt Day, the last Wednesday of February. Now, uh, the budget was obviously the big thing that happened yesterday at Committee of the Whole. You guys went through all 11 supplemental items. The only item that didn't really pass was the uh, Protective Services Training Facility, which was deferred to a later date, which I thought, uh, you know, made sense. Is this something that's really not looking to be on the books until 2024? Uh, Of course, it's always important to look ahead. But just any thoughts on that specifically and and pretty content with the process, uh, in terms of those 11 supplemental
0: items as a whole? Yeah, so speaking to the training facility, I think, uh, you know, uh, council was a little reluctant to commit you know, into the term of the next council, uh, but uh, they did have a caveat that uh, they want uh, Mr. McCorkle, who's uh, in charge of uh, community services, to continue that negotiation and dialogue, and the reason for that is that this uh, actually uh, could be a moneymaker for the city of Councils. Right now, we're spending uh, somewhere uh, under half a million a year to uh, train our police in the recertification required for the uh, myriad of firearms that they're now carrying. And uh, that is also true for uh, different organizations that are armed as well. So uh, you look at the Conservation Officer Service, uh, you look at uh, Sheriff Services or or, uh, uh, KRCC and, and the requirement for their ongoing training. So... Uh, that uh, if you couple that together uh, would be an opportunity for the City of Kamloops to set up a facility here and save our uh, staff from uh, continuously going to Chilliwack where the nearest training facility is. So we want to look at that certainly for Kamloops and the immediate area. There's other police detachments around us that could benefit by coming here. It's cheaper to stay here than it would be down there and it's it's easier to get to. So uh, let's look at that. Let's uh, refine that business case and uh, when we get to a, a point where we can uh, put this uh, in, a, in a more immediate uh, light in front of council, we'll do that.
1: Yeah, I, I talked to a uh, superintendent from the RCMP here, said Lucky about that project not too long ago, and yeah, I mean not only would it be a potentially a money maker but also a money saver, and, and something that I think is worth continuing to explore, but given that it wouldn't be built before 2025 at the earliest, it, it does make sense
0: from council's perspective to, to wait. Yeah. One of the things you have to recognize, you know, you, you think about the cost of training, but it's the fact that you're taking members off the watch and we have four watches in camels, ABCD and their staff to a minimum watch standard. And when you take a few people off the watch and you send them somewhere else, then you're going to increase overtime. You're going to bring people in on days off, that kind of thing. So it affects the, uh, you know, uh, standard of policing in the community by having people absent be they absent for training or be they absent waiting around in court so you know we have to be conscious of our minimum staffing levels and and it's important to be able to do as much as we can as close to Kamloops as we can
1: um, one of the things that I know we had spoke when, when the uh, supplemental items were first presented, and, and one of the things that you were pretty happy to see in there um, was those two additional arborists uh, that went through. And there was some talk yesterday during this process as well, just about the importance of arborists in our community as we look to kind of expand the tree canopy in Kamloops. Um, you know, just thoughts on those two positions getting approved and, and sort of what it means for, for our community when talking about, uh, you know, our, our, our green, green life.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a tree guy. I'm a huge fan of the urban canopy. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can't just plant trees, you have to maintain them, Uh, you have to prune them, Uh, you have to be conscious of uh, the uh, forest entomology and and, uh, diseases that can affect your uh, forest and you have to be also conscious of urban interfaces and the potential for fire threats so uh, the fact that uh, council recognized that yesterday I think is a good thing and the other important part is that that as we face this climate crisis uh, you know, trees are the one uh, source of carbon sequestration. So it's uh, an investment in the environment to plant a tree. And we want to encourage residents to do that through our tree coupon Uh, program, but we want to also do that as a corporation. So, you know, when you start to look at uh, the number of acres of trees and the number of trees we have in the city, uh, it's important to have uh, people that are professionals that can maintain them and make sure that those trees are uh, not only healthy, but safe. Uh, You know, sometimes trees are damaged and and that kind of thing. And uh, we have to make sure there's no risks uh, that the city would have to absorb by, uh, you know, falling branches and things like that. Right on. And and now with, you know, all those... um, that
1: discussion yesterday, all those supplemental items um, brought into into the budget, um, you know, added a little over 0.2% uh, to the total tax levy increase, um, you know, looking at about 3%, maybe a little bit of a hair under that. I think the numbers I'm hearing now are about 2.97%. Uh, are you content with that?
0: Yeah, you know, uh, I am, and and, uh, you know, Jeff, you and I have spoken throughout the whole process. It's kind of an iterative process. It it, it goes back and forth a bit, depending on a number of factors. Uh, We're pretty close now uh, with the decisions Council made yesterday, but there still is uh, you know, the 2019 books to close. Uh, Yesterday, they gave us a number of around $700,000 underspent in the city, and uh, you know, that's uh, give or take a few invoices either way. Remember, Mm -hmm. we just uh, closed the books on December the 31st so you know, they have a few months to kind of fix that up. And then we have a, a number in there of uh, 1.25% for growth. And, and that's going to depend on what the uh, BC Assessment Authority sends us later in the month in terms of their work last year in assessing new builds in Kamloops and what that uh, number actually looks like. And it can it could vary, you know, by, a, you know, a, a hundredth of a, a percentage point somewhere. And, and that could affect the number again. But, uh, you know, I think we're very, very close. And, and and why do i like that number i think that it's a good balance. I think that we have some uh, new initiatives underway. We have uh, maintained the core services that people expect us to provide. And we're competitive. Uh, you know, when you look at uh, neighboring communities, uh, uh, some uh, double uh, that in terms of a tax increase. And uh, we uh, like to uh, think of Canelbs as uh, an affordable city. And uh, I think, uh, you know, there certainly is inflation pressures. But by and large, I think we're managing them better here here than uh, some other locations for a whole set of circumstances.
1: And, and you just brought up there as well, the, the growth numbers, one and a quarter percent is projected for Camloops here in uh, 2020. And, uh, you know, just from the response you just gave here, it sounds like you're, you're pretty confident that those numbers will be fairly accurate. I mean, that's something that the city puts forward on an annual basis. And the growth numbers, are, I think, are generally pretty accurate. But, um, you know, there's always a few factors that could change that. But, you know, you don't sound too worried about those projections.
0: You know, uh, our staff are getting better and better in terms of the the projections. But, you know, we have a habit hand- on how many building uh, permits that we issued. We have a handle on what the estimated value of those permits were. Uh, So this is more of an echo report when BC Assessment actually goes out to those new homes and looks at them and and see if they actually were what they said they were going to do. There's some give and take, particularly in commercial properties, uh, because some of those are are more difficult to assess. And then there's some delays in terms of the building permits that uh, we issued may not have been acted upon. So there's a, a bit of room uh, in there but by and large we're pretty darn accurate in terms of those kinds of estimations and uh, I always uh, prod the chief financial officer Kathy Humphrey to see if we can get that number higher and she cautions me uh, you know I think we're around uh, 1 and a quarter and uh, that seems to be pretty much spot on every year
1: that's probably a number two to to be under projecting on rather than uh, overshooting just uh, you know for safety purposes, um, there was a public uh, budget meeting last week. You know, a chance for uh, the general population to to come out to Sam Center on Thursday night and and you know provide council with some feedback. I am
0: presuming you were at that meeting and happy with uh, with the turnout. Yeah, I was, uh, and uh, I was uh, happy with the turnout and and the quality of uh, the feedback that we received from the individuals that were there. Uh, you know, a number of of different things. Uh, people were kind of campaigning on uh uh, again, the pickleball group were out there. They've been a pretty consistent lobbyists. Uh, a lot of talk about transit, a lot of talk about climate change and initiatives that uh, we could be taking in terms of that. Uh, a, a contingent of uh, seniors concerned about the fact that, uh, you know, the uh, increase in taxation and the increase in their property value is going up much faster than any increase in their fixed income or their pension, and that's a reality. Uh, you know, there, there are a segment of the population population that are kind of aging out of being able to afford the homes they live in because they are going up in value. So, uh, you know, those kinds of concerns were there and and, uh, a good chance to talk uh, to residents uh, about a host of issues. Awesome. And just, uh, you know,
1: that pretty much wraps up the conversation I had here on the budget itself. I just, what is next? Do you know when, uh,
0: you know, ratification is, is planned for at this time? you know, we're going to work through this. Uh, We have a a date uh, requirement in the community charter to have something uh, uh, in stone in April. So uh, we're going to be working through March to uh, get the final uh, budget bylaw through council chambers, and then we'll uh, get on with uh, looking at the 2021 budget. And as uh, Ms. Humphrey pointed out yesterday, this is a a cyclic process. Uh, You know, people shouldn't feel that a deadline today is meaning that for ever and ever, they'll never get their ask addressed. Uh, I think people have to look at these things and uh, talk about what it is in terms of an amenity that they're interested in, look to gain some support for that uh, within the community that's going to use it, and then look at creative ways in which they can help fund it and gain support for that on the broader community uh, scale, and uh, people do that, and uh, eventually we get to uh, get to yes. Right on, and those uh, tax
1: rates will be uh, set come April, so council will be uh, doing that sometime in the next month and a half or so. But well, we will take a quick little break here, and then we'll get into what happened at uh, regular council meeting. So stick around. We'll have more with the mayor after this.
0: You're listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News
1: Talk and Radio NL.com. All right. Welcome back in here, and we're continuing our conversation here with Camloops uh, Mayor Ken Christian. We've gone over most of the uh, the budget stuff there in the last segment, so we can hear that online later. But we'll get into uh, regular council. Um, Ken, you did present a mayor's report, a couple of different items that were on there, including the uh, Southern Interior Local Government Association uh, asking Interior Health Authority to reevaluate the current outpatient model of mental health care. Uh, what exactly does that mean?
0: Yeah, you know, uh, it's been my observation that uh, there is a a subset of our homeless population uh, that is really uh, suffering from chronic mental illness. uh, Things like bipolar disorder and and, uh, uh, acute schizophrenia, and uh, there's even a subset of that group now that have been... Uh, you know, suffering brain damage from repeated uh, naloxone uh, recoveries, and so, uh, you know, there's some people that are really not able to manage their own journey on the streets of Kamloops, and Uh, I've been speaking with the mayor of Nanaimo, Leonard Krog, and and the mayor of Prince George, Lynn Hall, and and there's the same thing in Nanaimo, same thing in Prince George. So uh, one of the things that we are doing is asking our local government associations to, uh, you know, talk about this problem, and and is there some other model in terms of uh, the ability of the community to respond to uh, those individuals that uh, might need a more residential setting uh, to uh, manage their illness? and and it's as simple as that and and uh, you know uh, to uh, have them bounce between uh, lockup in the RCM police cells or uh, one south or the uh, emergency department at the hospital uh, really is not uh, the best solution and some of these people are are uh, not uh, just hard to house, they're they're almost impossible to house. Right. They, they don't want to be in that confined environment uh, because of uh, their condition. And, and so, you know, they suffer. And, and when we had that uh, 25 below spell there a few weeks back, you saw them st- uh, suffer. And uh, uh, that is a concern to me and a concern to the rest of council. And so uh, the resolution was endorsed yesterday. We'll take that to uh, the Southern Interior Local Government Association And if there's some concurrence there, then we'll have a discussion with the Interior Health Authority about, uh, you know, using an outpatient model for uh, individuals that really uh, their med regime and things like that is uh, uh, difficult for them to manage, uh, you know, without that kind of ongoing support. The wraparound services that are provided, uh, you know, are good, but they're kind of spotty uh, when people get into a time of crisis and and that's uh, what's happening more and more.
1: Yeah, and as the opioid crisis continues. That's something that uh, you know a lot of um, a lot of people have concerns about. Not here in Kamloops, not just here in B.C., not just in Canada, but really uh, almost globally at this point. Um, another thing that was in your mayor's report of as well was the as well was the keep prisoner model, um, provincial police and intermittent prisoners. Uh, what are you talking about there?
0: Yeah, you know this is a crown my bonnet. Uh, this is an agreement that was really imposed upon municipalities in 2002, and and what it says is that there's a pot of money that the the solicitor general has, and he divides that uh, amongst municipalities based upon the amount of prisoners that they've housed over the course of the year. Now. I get it that uh, Kamloops as a city has an obligation to house the prisoners that are from Kamloops. Uh, you know, people that commit crime in Kamloops, that's where they're going to go. Uh, but what's happening uh, more and more is that we not only have those municipal prisoners, but we have uh, what uh, I call provincial prisoners. So these would be prisoners that are apprehended in Chase or in, in Barrier or in Ashcroft and are brought to Kamloops. Uh, they're also prisoners that are remanded from the court system. and they're also uh, people who have been sentenced by the court system to serve intermittent sentences and they wind up in the Kamloops uh, lockup uh, to do that. Uh, and so those are the provincial prisoners. And now uh, there's even federal prisoners when uh, there are, uh, you know, roundups related to immigration and and uh, that kind of thing. And, and they wind up in our cells. So at the end of the year, we wind up getting between 9 and $10 an hour to house those prisoners, and it costs us close to $20 an hour to have them. So uh, in 2019, I had staff uh, look into it uh, in more detail, and I think the number was uh, around $120,000 uh, that we spent more than we received I don't think that's a fair deal for the Kamloops taxpayer, and I want to have the government look at that, and uh, so the resolution yesterday, which Council endorsed, is to bring that up in the uh, SILGA meetings coming up in Vernon, because it's my understanding, in talking with uh, the mayor of Vernon, uh, the mayor of Kelowna, the mayor of West Kelowna, the mayor of Penticton, those size cities, that they're experiencing exactly the same thing. If you're the biggest show in the region, you're going to handle everybody's prisoners, and you know that's all well and good, except for the fact that larger cities like Penticton, Kelowna counts, pay for their own policing, and smaller places don't. So, uh, all I'm looking for here is fairness. Uh, we recognize we have an obligation to society to house prisoners and and prisoners need to be housed in better conditions quite frankly than we are doing it here Uh, our uh, cells are designed for short term lockup. they're not designed for kind of long term uh, stays and uh, you know when you get people that are remanded 30 days to uh, spend weekends in in Camel jails it's just not a good scene
1: well Ken unfortunately we're out of time but uh, thanks so much for coming in and doing a double shot lots to go over and I know you're a busy man so let you get back to it Thanks, Jeff. Awesome. That was Kemloops Mayor Ken Christian. I'll take a quick break here, and then we'll be back with uh, Kathy Humphrey, Corporate Services Director here at Kemloops, to talk more about uh, your taxes and uh, what we're going to expect here in 2020.
0: Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com.
1: Welcome back in to the Jeff Andrea Show here on Wednesday, February 26th. And thank you so much for tuning in yesterday of course city council went over those 11 supplemental budget items accepting all of them except for deferring one that being the uh training facility here for our emergency services providers so uh, that one will be considered at a later date but with those supplemental items the tax increase did go up a little bit it started at 2.76 on the day and uh, if i understand correctly it is now at 2.97 percent here now to talk about that is the city's corporate services director kathy humphrey kathy thanks so much for taking the time
2: yeah, no problem. Hi, Jeff. So is is that
1: right? We're looking at 2.97% tax increase right now?
2: Uh, yeah, the overall city budget is at 2.97% increase, so just about over $3 million.
1: Okay, so I know this is always a pretty difficult question to a- answer and, and one that I know most people out there want to have answered, but it's just really hard to, to provide an accurate one. But what does that mean for the average homeowner here in Kamloops?
2: Well, that's, that's really tough. <laughs> um, basically, if your home had the average value last year, which was about $410,000, and your house has the average home this year, which has gone up to $443,000, you're looking at about $65.
1: Okay, so, and, and I mean, that's something that I think, uh, from a general budget planning, uh, finance pr- pr- perspective, is, is something that is generally acceptable, right, within um, municipal budgets. Around 3% is something that uh, is typically seen as almost a win in majority municipalities. Is that sort of how you would interpret things as well? I know you're just the finance person, the money person, and you're not really the the um, council person. You're not supposed to necessarily get into the, uh, the whys and hows, but you're just presenting the numbers as is. But from what I, I've seen in my lifetime, 3% is generally a, an acceptable number.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, coming in, we're a slightly higher than, say, um, you know, CPI, which is, you know, the the consumer price index that lots of people look like, or the, the inflation numbers. But I think, you know, to come in just above that and have a bunch of new services added, I think shows um, a lot of um, financial restraint in departments and people trying to, um, really trying hard to be fiscally responsible as we're doing our budget, because, you know, most of us all live in the city and, and pay taxes as well. So, you know, there's an Center for all of us to make sure that everything's uh, financially responsible and being well-run.
1: And when you're looking, or when you're talking about being fiscally responsible, you had brought this up yesterday during the uh, presentation regarding uh, the city's reserve funds and the fact that, you know, you were looking at the 2019 surplus, and it's projected right now at about $700,000, which is uh, pretty pretty darn close when you're talking about a $115 million budget, so to be, um, you know, projecting a little bit more than $700,000 uh, you know spent, um, you know, that, that's pretty accurate numbers, and, and you you had mentioned that's, you know, one of the, the, the closest you've been since you, you've you been here in your, your five years time as, um, you know, a finance director here for the city. So, um, you know, pretty, pretty happy with the fact that, uh, you know, it seems like city departments are, are tightening up here a little bit.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's really, um, you know, a really great thing for the city because we always are accused of, you know, we have all these flush funds or the city's overtaxing me. And really the fact that we don't have a lot of money spent um, left over at the end of the year shows that, you know, we had a plan and we followed it and our engineering departments and our operations departments are are really trying hard to um, read the the markets and estimate the cost of, of doing business. I mean, the downside of it is that when unexpected things come out um, there isn't a lot of wiggle room in the budget to accommodate them but you know we're doing that through the actual financial plan and our asset management plans to have the reserve set aside for those one-offs as opposed to putting it into our operating budgets
1: yeah and and you know just looking at the reserve funds as a whole it looks like things are pretty healthy here in the city Um, when you're talking about just the general reserve being up over 14 million and uh, the total figures was up over 28 million um, you know is that uh, about where you would like to see the city be?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think those numbers are, are, you know, they're really big numbers. But, I mean, the city deals with really big numbers all along. So, I mean, even the, the general reserve sitting at 13 or $14 million, if you, you know, consider that the city collects $115 million um, in the course of a year, you know, in the event that there was an emergency of some sort, you know, that's only a couple of months' worth of operations um, sitting in our reserve. So, it is a big number, but, uh, you know, we do need to have that set aside for um, if we had to front the cash on some you know capital projects you know a lot of times we'll end up reimbursed back by the province or the federal government but you know we need to have that cash set aside to to cover the cost and fix whatever it is right away
1: and it's probably pretty helpful to have too when looking at you know applying for grants to have some of that potential dollars that you can lay down up front um i think uh you know quite often can make um those those organizations in charge of giving out grants to municipalities uh, the fact that there is money in the reserves for certain projects probably makes it a little easier to go about uh, getting some of those funds
2: Well, yeah, I mean, grants are really unpredictable in terms of when they're going to happen and when, uh, you know, other levels of government are going to offer them. So most of them don't ever cover 100% of the cost. So the fact that we're sitting with a little bit in our reserve funds and can jump on grant opportunities because we have, you know, 25% of the project or 33% of the project that we can fund uh, right then and there when the project is approved, um, I think is really helpful for the city. Perfect. Uh, One
1: thing I did want to ask about as well was just the projected growth numbers so the city is projecting one and a quarter percent growth Uh, you know so when you factor that into the total budget I guess uh, budget spending is going up uh, about 4.2 some percent Uh, but just you know when looking at what one and a quarter projected growth how how difficult of a number is that to project is that something that's a a real challenge for the city and something that you know could uh, could change significantly over the course of a year
2: Um, I mean, it is a little bit tough uh, to project. I mean, we work really closely with BC Assessment to get their read on what's happening in the community. They provide our our revenue team and our taxation team with updates throughout the year um, in terms of the the growth and what they're projecting for um, new businesses and new buildings within the community. But what we do is we, um, you know, I heard you talking to mayor a little bit earlier, we we budget a little bit conservative because, um, you know, like you said, we don't want to be too high and not collect enough money. And then what we do is we just sort of buffer the difference, um, you know, because generally it's only a a little bit of a difference um, year over year to to cover our estimates on either side. So,
1: Awesome stuff. Um, And and I know that, um, you know, this budget isn't totally passed yet. Uh, There's still going to be probably a a few, well, potentially some tweaks made, I guess, between now and whenever the budget is, in fact, ratified. Uh, I asked the mayor this as well. He doesn't have a specific date. Do you know of a specific date where this will be finalized?
2: Um, I believe we're currently set for um, the first meeting that council has in April, which I believe is April the 7th. We don't, we, we're a little bit dependent on, we can't finalize the tax numbers until we get the final roll from BC Assessment and their um, date is the beginning of April. So um, it'll be within those first couple meetings in April where the tax rates get set, but we can't do it uh, without that data from BC Assessment.
1: Right on. And, and can you talk a little about uh, how you go about setting that tax rate? Kind of what, what goes into that between now and then?
2: Yeah, so basically the number that we're talking about now, it's not the, we don't look at it on an individual property owner basis. We're basically looking at what was the budget last year, how much money do we need this year, and that's how we calculate that percentage. So the, the 2.7, uh, 2.97 or the, the just over 4% without growth, that's the growth in our actual budget. So what we do now is we basically take, we need $115 million in a little bit to collect. We take BC Assessments numbers that said, this is the value of all the property in Kamloops, and we basically do sort of backwards math to figure out what the mill rate is that gets us $115 million in each of the property classes. Awesome. So um, there's a little bit of math.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'd say just a little bit. Um, yeah, I'll pretty much get you out of here on this, Kathy. I guess just, you know, when you're looking at um, just our, our tax base as a whole, do you have any concerns, um, you know, just with where money is coming from? I know there's always conversations when it comes to, um, you know, maybe the individual homeowners getting overtaxed as we. We see industry sort of get phased out more and more. Um, you know, just how, how much of our tax base is reliant on individual homeowners? Is that uh, something that is concerning at all to the municipality?
2: Um, you know, I I think, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but I mean, the majority of our taxes, as well as the majority of our properties and value in properties is in residential. So, um, you know, I think we're not really concerned as far as compared to other communities. We have a fairly diverse tax base. We have, you know, a significant amount of light industry. We have a lot of um, business class. We've got lots of residential, Um, you know, the the one class that uh, is pretty small is um, high in value, which is our class four, our heavy industry. It only has a couple of Uh, properties in it Um, but the rest of it is is really quite well diversified and it seems to be growing you know in in a in a steady way so we're not really too concerned about about that at this point
1: Good stuff. I just wanted to uh, get that point out there because I know it's something that a lot of homeowners do get worried about is that, you know, more and more of it seems to be relied on on individuals and not so much on businesses. And um, of course, I mean, taxes are are paid by individuals, no matter how you want to spin it, whether it's through a business or through an individual. But uh, I know it's something that a lot of people do have some concerns about. So thank you so much for coming on and taking the time. I really appreciate you filling us in on kind of how this budget process works. And we'll look ahead to April when those tax rates will indeed be set. Perfect. Thanks, Jeff. Awesome. That was the uh, Corporate Services Director here for the City of Kamloops, Kathy Humphrey, uh, talking all about budget and what goes into it and what numbers we're looking at right now. 2.97% uh, increase on the uh, tax levy when considering um, projected growth of one and a quarter percent. And of course, uh, when you're totaling it all up, the total budget is looking at about 4.222%. Uh, I believe is the total figure. So there you go. 2020 municipal budget slowly getting hammered out, and uh, we'll be all finalized in about one month's time. Coming up next, it's time for another edition of That's Whack Wednesday, so stay tuned because we'll be coming back with more Jeff Andreas Show right after this.
0: The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Jeff Andrea show here on February 26. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining me here in the middle of the week. Yes, it is Wednesday, the middle of the week as I just said, hump day if you will. It all goes downhill from here both in the week itself and in this show. It is time for that's whack Wednesday. It's that's whack Wednesday. Air! Evidence suggests that women who drink as little as one cup of dairy milk per day could increase their risk of developing breast cancer by up to 50%. Researchers say the observational study gives fairly strong evidence that dairy milk or factors closely related to the consumption of dairy milk is linked to the development of breast cancer in women. By drinking up to one cup per day, the associated risk went up to 50%. And for those drinking two to three cups per day, the risk increased further to 70% to 80%. That is crazy. No, wait. I mean, that is... Yeah, researchers followed the dairy consumption of nearly 53,000 women across North America for eight years as part of the study, which compared dairy and soy product consumption. Participants' family history of breast cancer, physical activity, alcohol consumption, medication use, and reproductive and genealogical history were all taken into consideration. Now, by the end of the study, 1,057 new breast cancer cases had been diagnosed. Although there was no clear associations found between soy products and breast cancer those who had higher intakes of dairy milk were at a greater risk of developing breast cancer when compared to those who drank little to no milk so when all of your vegan friends tell you to drink soy milk or almond milk or some sort of milk alternatives perhaps they may have a point point. and i gotta say oh that is whack well what about our hearing Well, according to New Yorker writer David Owen, it is easier than ever to cause hearing loss with everyday activities. That's not an overly uh, presumptive statement. I mean, we know how things have changed over the last hundred plus years. Uh, Sounds are a lot louder when we're talking about things like jet engines and trains that roll through our downtown here in Kamloops. There's a lot of reasons why we hear a lot louder and a lot more intrusive sounds in our lives. And of course now... You know, we got the uh, introduction of things like headphones and music, right? That like We've been doing this for the last 40 plus years. Um, as someone who wears uh, headphones on a daily basis, I got to say there's a little bit of a concern when we're talking about how it is easier than ever to lose your hearing. Now, Owen goes on to say that people need to pay more attention to things that could damage their hearing and that the ripple effects of hearing loss can be enormous, not only for the person who lost their hearing, but for society as a whole. Well, what exactly does that mean? Hearing loss is bad for society? Well, a psychological professor at Concordia University and assistant director of the Canadian Consortium for Neurodegeneration and Aging says there has long been an association between hearing loss and cognitive decline. That is whack. Yeah, if there was a 10 decibel difference in hearing, it would be the equivalent of being two and a half years older in terms of your performance on an executive function test or close to two years older in terms of your memory performance. Like I was saying earlier, as someone who wears headphones on a daily basis, that is interesting. I'll leave it at that. That is interesting. Now, data from the Canadian Longitudinal Study on Aging also examined whether there is a link between hearing loss and social isolation. Owen says there is a condition or sorry, Owen says there is a connection between the two and recalls interviewing a woman whose mother had terrible hearing problems. Although the cause of her death on her death certificate was Alzheimer's disease, this woman uh, whose mother had passed away of Alzheimer's actually said the real cause of her death was hearing loss. She said her life became so narrowed and so lonely that she basically died of that. That my friends, that is. Yeah, I, I, I can only imagine how lonely and how isolated one would feel without being able to hear. Uh, if I had to choose between hearing loss and vision loss, I would like to say I would probably choose hearing loss. Um, you know, I want to be able to see. I want to be able to know what's going on. I want to be able to look at the mountains and the lakes and the pretty pictures and all these things that exist. But hearing loss, I can understand how silence in your life all the time can be pretty lonely. It's a difficult choice. The old game of would you rather can always be a difficult one. And in this case, well, maybe I don't want to lose my hearing. Anyways. Let's move on from this. That subject's maybe a little too close to home for me as someone who works in radio and, like I said, continues to wear earbuds on a near daily basis. How about a fun fact to end things off? Let's move things over. we were pretty negative talking about breast cancer, talking about hearing loss. Let's go over to something a little more entertaining. How about a fun fact to end things off? I could not believe this when I first found it out, but Bob Ross... Everyone knows Bob Ross, the painter, right? We don't
0: make mistakes. We have happy accidents.
1: Well, he was almost as famous for his curly hair as he was for his paintings. But it was all a lie. Before he got famous, he permed his hair to save money on haircuts. And once it became his signature look, well, he he stuck with it. Can you believe that? Because I can't believe it. Yeah, here's the history. So back in the early 80s, Ross was embarking on his new career as a painter and instructor after serving in the U.S. Air Force for 20 years. So his mentor, Bill Alexander, was preparing to retire, and he asked Ross to take over his classes. Ross had agreed and set out on tour across the country on his own motorhome. Now, he was traveling and teaching people the Alexander wet-on-wet technique, and he told his wife Jane at the time that he'd try this business out for one year, and if it didn't work, if he didn't make enough money, well, he would return to Alaska. Now, success didn't come easy for Ross, or really at all during his time on the road. As a way of penny-pinching, Ross decided to save money on haircuts by getting his hair permed. Now it's a bit of an unorthodox way of saving money and one that probably wouldn't have lasted for Bob Ross for forever if it weren't for an emerging brand in need of some merchandise. Yeah, Bob Ross company co-founder Annette Kowalski said it got a line of paints and brushes and it decided to put Bob Ross's picture on it. The logo is a picture of Bob with that, you know, stylish 80s perm so he could never get it cut after that because he was the brand. Bob Ross wasn't too happy about that situation, so, you know, it sounds like he really had no choice but to keep the hair. You got out
2: of line, you got whacked, everybody knew the rules.
1: Yeah, Ross was no fool and he kept that fro because he knew that it was good for business and he went on to maintain his trademark brushy hairdo for the rest of his life. Ross unfortunately died at the age of 52 back in July of 1995 due to complications from lymphoma, but... Of course, at the time of his death, he was still rocking that signature perm. Good for you, Bob Ross. Good for you. As we all know, your very awesome lesson will play out one more time here.
0: We don't make mistakes, we have happy accidents.
1: Right on. Well, this has been the February 26th edition of That's Whack Wednesday. That's Whack Wednesday with Jeff Andreas. Well, that brings me to the end of the show here. If you do have any burning questions or a subject you'd like me to talk more about or you just want to say hi, please don't hesitate to email me at jandreas at stingray.com or hit me up on Twitter at Jeffrey underscore Andreas. Well, that wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests for joining me. And, of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you joined me for a short while or a long while, just know that I enjoyed our time while it lasted. Have a great Wednesday, and I'll be back here tomorrow at 9.